to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I'm Jason Scorse. I hope everybody is doing great. The title of this episode is Deals with the Devil Always Go Bad. And this episode is inspired by recent events. One being the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline in Europe that feeds natural gas to Germany primarily. And that was by the Russians, presumably. There's not, you know, definitive evidence, but pretty clear that the Russians did that. And the other recent event is the decision by both the Saudis and the Russians to cut oil production by 2 million barrels in an effort to jack up oil prices a month before the U.S. midterm elections and deal a blow to President Biden and the Democrats. I'm going to argue that these episodes are the logical endpoint of decades of bad, horrible policy decisions by Western leaders who thought that making deals with the devil were smart, savvy, real politique that was necessary in a chaotic world and somehow advantageous. Turns out these decisions were not only incredibly dumb, but morally bankrupt, and have really undermined a lot of the West's legitimacy. The U.S. alliance with the Saudi regime is definitely the worst, and I'll get into the details of that plus the the Nord Stream pipeline in a minute. But before I get into these specifics, I do want to discuss kind of an underlying broader economic theory of engagement internationally that has ideological roots that go back a century and are much deeper. And the theory is is that trading with bad regimes brings those regimes in closer contact with liberal societies and ultimately helps bend them towards liberal politics and culture. This underpins much of the hopes about admitting the Chinese into the World Trade Organization in the early 2000s, as well, to some extent, of Germany's decision to rely on Russian gas as a primary source of heating energy. This logic that really has been fundamental to economics has some appeal, right? That as economies become more entwined, nations see that they must rely on each other, and that by admitting nations into this privileged trade status, even authoritarian and despotic nations, the economic benefits of freer trade will ultimately bleed over into more freer political systems. There is an allure to this thinking that is very enticing and also has some reasonable logic behind it. And I will admit that I largely bought into this, to some extent at least, as a student of economics. I remember, you know, reading about the Nobel laureate Amartya Sen pointing out that, you know, democracies never go to war with each other. And many economists blame protectionist policies for kind of inciting World War I. 
Now, of course, no economists ever claim that simply trading with a communist regime or an authoritarian country would make them into Western democracies. But instead, the logic was that slowly they would drift in this direction from trade and economic connections. It turns out this is clearly wrong. And I will admit that I had this wrong as well. Now, of course, there's something self-serving about this, right? Western economies, Western economists love to think that free trade or, quote, free trade, right? We know it's never entirely free trade, but more liberalized trade, which is good for, you know, generally economic growth and prosperity, that that, of course, then is going to be good for politics, right? It's a nice, convenient theory. That means, hey, don't worry, make money off of you know, buying and selling from despotic regimes, and it's all going to work out. Not only do you make money and prosperity, but you're actually going to push them closer to the liberal ideals that you practice. So again, there was some self-serving, you know, uh, elements to this theory, but it's just clearly demonstrably proven wrong. So what recent events have shown is that these type of economic connections can actually be used to extort and take advantage of people who become dependent on these despotic regimes. This is absolutely the case with both Russia and Saudi Arabia. So after the break, I wanted to get into the details of how European and American foreign policy made such enormous moral and strategic blunders in allying and doing business with these devilish regimes. Okay, interestingly, the U.S. government warned the Germans about relying too much on Russian gas, but the Germans didn't listen. They thought that the Russians would be a reliable trading partner, that again, this larger integration of Russia into the European Union would be beneficial politically, and that the Russians had too much to lose from you know, not getting their gas sold in European markets. Now, this is ironic because the U.S. had been in bed with the Saudis for much longer than the Germans with the Russians with respect to this, these gas pipelines. And it's an even worse alliance. However, the German and hence European dependence on Russian gas is much more severe than our reliance on the Saudis. And I'll get into how they differ in a moment. Europe literally faces a shortage, like a physical shortage of gas and huge price surges of many hundreds of a percent, right? So what U.S. is dealing with now with higher energy prices, and we'll talk about the Saudi contribution to that, you know, we're complaining about a dollar more in gas, or in some cases, a dollar fifty a gallon. 
But there's no shortage. And this isn't for heating, right? This isn't like you're going to freeze to death or get really sick in your home and your, your elderly parents or your children are going to get, you know, freezing. This is, you know, it's a pain and poor people are definitely getting hit. But it's slightly higher gasoline prices while much of Europe is facing a genuine energy crisis right as we enter winter. Right? This is an amazing fact about this moment that's worth just stepping back for a second. We're in the year 2022, and Europe is in a major war with Russia after Putin's fascist regime invaded a major sovereign European nation. Right? This is the hottest war between the West and Russia since World War II. It's really insane when you think about it, and I, and I don't think it's sunk in for most people. In fact, even for me, who reads a lot about it, I follow Timothy Snyder, and I'm listening to a lot of podcasts, it's still just shocking. It's like, wow, the West is in a major war with Russia. Like, holy moly. And look, in the short term, Europeans are going to feel a lot of pain from this. Right? I mean, they're talking about severe energy shortages and rationing in rich Western European countries this winter, within the next couple months. But in the medium term, as they switch away from Russian gas and develop renewable sources of energy and do a lot more on conservation, there is no doubt that Russia is going to be the big loser. And now that's no consolation right now, but Russia is going to lose. They will get much lower prices in the rest of the world than they were from the Europeans. And they will have to build a lot more expensive infrastructure to get it to them. And plus, no one is going to trust that Russia is a reliable trading partner. So everybody's going to hedge their bets. And they're only going to take Russian gas at a discount for a very, very long time, perhaps decades. So with respect to the Saudis, us Americans are in a slightly different situation. While we are actually a net exporter of oil, what the Saudis can do to impact world prices is really important because it creates leverage. They can, by restricting supply, they can make the price of oil shoot up, which does incredible harm to the U.S. economy and U.S. consumers. And given that U.S. consumers are so sensitive to gas prices, it can really hurt whatever politicians are in power at the time. Hence, the Saudis doing this right before the, the midterm elections that are really important for the Democrats, right? And so the Saudi regime, let's just be honest, is basically a wholly owned subsidiary of the MAGA fascists. And they have made no you know, bones about it that they would much rather have fascists running the U.S. than Democrats. What's so ironic about this situation, and there's a lot of irony going on in these all of this, is that... All the Republicans who have been years, decades, saying, drill, baby, drill. They know that the price of oil is determined on the world market. We are a net exporter. We're, quote, technically energy independent in that we produce the amount of oil that we use and, in fact, more. So if we, did, if we lived in a kind of autarky, autarky situation where we didn't trade at all and all U.S. oil had to just be sold in the U.S. market, the price wouldn't go up that much, but it can be sold much higher on the world market. So when the Saudis pull some out, the world price goes up and then U.S. you know, producers get that price. right? And so all this drill baby drill and not switching away from oil has gotten us more dependent and given the Saudis more leverage over us. Now, of course, when the prices skyrocket, consumers in the U.S. get shafted, we get inflation, 
We get economic slowdown and heavy industry. But who makes windfall profits? The oil companies. That's the one sector of the American economy that loves high oil prices. And the Republicans are completely in bed with the oil companies. And they have actually, their policies are hurting U.S. consumers. And again, how this party that calls itself a populist working class party, that literally their policies have made us more dependent on the Saudis, more dependent on price volatility, and it has harmed consumers, again, just boggles the mind that the media can't explain this. The volatility, the prices that o- of oil going up and down in these cycles is so terrible for business. And of course, let's not, we haven't even gotten to the climate impacts, right? That oil is heavily polluting, air pollution, and frying the planet. It's basically the worst of all possible worlds. But it gets even worse. It's kind of like the those commercials. And I have more, one more, right? Because the Saudis have one of the worst human rights records in the world. And they finance Wahhabi Islam. And that is behind, that's like the extremist form of Islam. And they they, they finance madrasas and, and, and organizations across the world. And this is the form of Islam that was behind Al-Qaeda and 9-11 and in some sense is, you know, is a kind of the precursors to ISIS. One of the worst moments in U.S. history that I remember was watching Bush II kiss the Saudis' asses right after 9-11. Literally, months after 9-11, he's kissing the Saudis' asses when 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudis. I mean, I was thinking to myself, I'm a pacifist, and I don't like war, but I was thinking, if we were going to go to war, we should have just taken over the Saudi regime. If Bush too had done that, if Bush too had invaded Saudi Arabia, wiped out the House of Saud, and then said, all right, all the holy lands, we're not going to touch them, right? That's very sensitive. We don't want to be in religious territory here. You know, Islamic Council, you guys control this. We're not going to have a one, one footprint on the holy sites. And the oil, we're just going to open the spigots and make sure that the price stays stable, and we're not going to take a penny. All that money going to a, you know, a Middle East development fund. Now, again, this maybe is a little far-fetched, but it's certainly not more far-fetched than trying to remake Afghanistan or invade Iraq, right? And at least we would have taken out the worst regime in the world and also not had to deal with them having leverage of, over us for oil markets anymore. So this alliance with the Saudis makes us look weak, pathetic, and like hypocrites. Now, finally, with this recent move, it looks like Biden and the Democrats have had enough, and maybe the Saudi alliance is on the ropes. I'll believe it when I see it, but if we could cut off our military supply to them and any other type of logistical support, that would be huge. It's 50 years overdue and needs to happen. Now, of course, I know there's a lot of bad actors in the Middle East. I know there's the Iranians, but you know what? You can't make the deal with the one devil because you're against the other devil. You're in the bed with the devil. And remember, the the Saudis killed a U.S. citizen, Jamal Khashoggi, and sawed him to pieces in an embassy. And they paid nothing. They paid no price. Right? It is just insane. They're playing us for fools. And again, I really want to see the Democrats and Biden just cut this alliance off because We just need to be free of these devils here. So after the break, I'll come back with the antidote.
Okay, for the antidote today, I want to take the kind of macro lessons here about these big eras in dealing with despotic authoritarian regimes and, and bring them down to the personal level. Because deals with the devil are always a form of appeasement, right? Dealing with evil people and twisting oneself into knots to justify these relationships is just a form of appeasement. And it happens on the personal level all the time, right? All of us, including myself, we play nice with immoral people, thinking that somehow we can navigate our relationship with them and maybe they're fun in some area areas and we'll just do certain things with them or we won't mention certain things or, you know, whatever it is, a work colleague, a family member, a friend, and we think we're not going to get dirty. It's not going to affect us, but it never works out that way, ever. Bad people should be confronted and challenged and in the best case scenario, helped to improve and evolve, although it's very hard to help people change. It really has to come from them internally. But treating bad people normally and hoping you can kind of contain them and make sure you don't get you know, affected by the negativity and stay on their good side, it's not only a fool's errand, but it's morally compromised. And it makes all of us morally compromised. And it always goes bad, whether it takes a week or 10 years. And I have experience with this. You know, I have things that I thought were worth getting into and they went bad real quick. And then I have things that I navigated for, you know, a decade or more. And then finally something goes bad. And I realized, you know, I had just compromised and I had not confronted these people. And then it goes bad. So my recommendation, my antidote is just don't do it. Try to make your principles consistent throughout all your relationships. This form of integration Bringing morality into all spheres of your life is how you build personal integrity. And then that scaling up in the organization you work at, in your family union, in your friends, then we can scale that up. And hopefully one day the world on the macro is led by more moral in, in people with integrity and not all these fucking fascist and morally compromised monsters that it seems the world just can't get enough of. So with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please share it with family, family friends, and colleagues. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, uh, Spotify, and Stitcher, and rate it. And with that, everybody, I hope you have a great rest of the week. Be safe. Take care.